book of Revelation, chapter 21. Easy book to find. For those of you that have said, I read the book, I know how it ends. Well, for those of you that haven't said that, here's a chance to see how it ends. In this series, The Path Principle, we looked at how to get on the right path, how to what matrix we should use in determining the right path of life and uh, some of the tools to help us along to stay on the right path of path with God um, throughout life. We looked at what the end of that path looks like as we also cleared up some myths regarding uh, the path of life. But last week, you may remember, we looked at we started looking at the two destinations, the the ultimate outcomes of two very different paths that we had been uh, outlining throughout the scriptures. And the first one we looked at was hell, and it was an incredibly unpleasant, um, but but often needful uh, reminder to us of what the destination is for those who fail to receive Jesus, the free gift of salvation that he offers. And today, in an attempt to leave it on a glorious note, to end this series, to, 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 to uh, accomplish the final chapter of this series, I wanted to go out um, with a glorious image of heaven. Let me say something, just a few things about heaven. Now, you understand that last week was a tremendous task to try to teach the reality and the existence of hell in one sermon. Um, series have been built around the uh, biblical truth of hell. Uh, books have been written in regards to how volumes of books and commentaries have been written speaking about the horrors of the reality of hell. And the same is true with heaven. For me to go through the entire and, and to outline everything that we know or can know in regards to heaven uh, would require by far more than one Sunday. So I hope you understand this morning that we are not going to be going traveling down every avenue of the glories of heaven this morning. But what I am going to do is take John's revelation in chapter 21 and look at a few things that are the big ticket items, if you will, in heaven. Ultimately, heaven is, is the destination that we all want. Everybody wants to go to heaven, I would imagine. But Jesus says that the only way to get to heaven is through him. The Bible reminds us that he is literally the gate or the door as we looked in the path. The only way to heaven, this eternal destination of the blessed, of the child of God, is, is through Jesus Christ. To miss that door, to miss that gate of Jesus Christ is to forfeit the, the, the destination. You can't get there any other way. There is no other way to heaven except through Jesus. But let me say these couple of things in regards to heaven. One is this, basically put, heaven is where we belong. Now think about that for a minute. Heaven is where we belong. I love it that, that the revelation shows up at the end of our Bibles um, because it really it ties a knot. Because of the way the Bible begins, um, with God creating everything we see at the last book in John's Revelation, we see the recreation of everything. If you think about it in Genesis, we saw paradise initiated, created. And in Revelation, we see paradise restored. You see, between Genesis and Revelation, sin had cost man. Sin separated man from God. Sin marred our life. 
And as we saw in Genesis where God created the beautiful garden and placed Adam and Eve in it, and they had a glorious fellowship, a glorious union with God, and then sin came and they were kicked out of the garden. Here in Revelation, we see once again that glory wins. We see here in Revelation, in John's Revelation, we see a a, a glimpse, a picture of what God has in store for us. This is where we belong. This is what God has designed for those of us that trust Him and love Him. This is what God wants for us. If you think it took God six days to create everything, and yet He told His disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Think about that for a moment. It took God six days to create everything. And He's been working on our place for about 2,000 years now. That must be some pretty slick place, huh? Is everybody awake? Because when I was practicing this in my office, I got a lot more laughter. Here's something else interesting about heaven. We have two men in Scripture who have had a glimpse of heaven. One is John, as he records in John's Revelation that we're going to look at here in just a moment. The other is the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he speaks of a man who in Revelation or in a vision, out of the body or in the body he does not know, he's speaking about himself, was caught up into the third heaven. And that, that means not, not the, the, the skies, not the outer space, but the third heaven represented where, where God dwelt. And he was saying that he saw this vision. And you know what he said about it? This great and glorious experience that he had um, when he's speaking in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. These are the awesome words that he shares with everybody about this revelation. He says this, I don't really know what to tell you. How's that for profound? Now that's a summary. I mean really he said I heard things that are not lawful to be uttered. But really when it comes down to it he had this magnificent experience. He had this revelation of heaven and he comes back and says I don't really know what to tell you thanks a lot paul we'll go to john's account it's a little more detailed (coughs) revelation chapter 21 now i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away also there was no more sea then i john saw the holy city new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Jump down to verse 22, please. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, or Jesus, are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. 
And the nations of those who are saved and walk are in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, neither shall there be any night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter in anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's stop there. Obviously, there's more description um, from verses 6 through the verse 21. But I wanted to focus on verses 1 through 5 and 22 through 27 because that's, those are going to be the main points that we're going to be looking at in regards to this. Now, I want you to understand is even though um, when, when I'm speaking about hell uh, last week and speaking about heaven this week, there are really two challenges one challenge is I have to be able to uh, understand uh, what I'm talking about in order to communicate it. Now, let me just remind you that when we're dealing with heaven and hell, both of these eternal destinations, it's incredibly difficult for us to wrap our mind around them. And not just because of the descriptions, not just because of constant pain or constant torment as in hell, because honestly, very few of us are in constant pain or constant torment. We haven't been in constant pain or constant torment probably all our lives. So it's really difficult for us to understand something like that. And it is equally difficult for us to understand something that has no end. Everything in our life has an end. I mean, Seinfeld ended. Um, a lot of things, everything ends. I mean, we, we don't know of anything that really lasts forever that we can touch. And, and everything that we come in contact with Ultimately, one day will we'll break down or end. And, and when we're talking about eternal things, an eternal dwelling, we really can't fathom it. So we have to exercise our faith in some level to what we know and understand and believe that that account is true. And the same thing is true with heaven. You know, if you, if you talk to uh, some people and you ask them what they like to do, I like to fish, okay? Just to give you a little exercise on how difficult it is to understand eternity. I enjoy fishing. It's a time to relax. Um, it, it's a time to just enjoy nature. It's a, a time to get to do something I really love. But if you ask me to fish for eternity, even something I enjoy greatly, I can't imagine it. I, I mean, eventually in my mind, I think I would get tired of it. Some of you may like to ride roller coasters. Can you imagine riding a roller coaster forever? Some of you like to eat Miss Betty's pecan pie, but can you imagine... In a weird way, I can imagine <laughs> eating. Yes, I can. Maybe that was not the best example. But what John says is this, and I want you to notice in this message this morning, for those of you that were here last week and we dove down really to the depths of the horrors of hell, I want you to see that these could not be further, uh, a greater gap between these two. Just as awful. Just as horrific as that picture was in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus gave to us, to so the rich man and Lazarus, and literally pulled back a corner and allowed us to see just a fraction of the horrors of hell, let me remind you, just as awful as that was, it is inversely glorious, heaven is. Heaven is, there, there, there could not be a wider gap between the horrors of hell and the glories of heaven. Notice what John says. You notice his first description is there was no more sea. Isn't that interesting? 
I mean, in, in chapter 21, he's looking out and he's describing, getting ready to describe the glories of this eternal existence and the presence of God, the glory of God, um, all of the, the jewel-toned uh, decor, everything around him. And he says there was no more sea. Well, that's an odd description. You know, in the scriptures, sea represents a lot of things. In fact, if you go back and look and read John's revelation, the sea didn't, a lot of good things didn't come from the sea. In Revelation chapter 23, there was a beast that, or Revelation chapter 13, excuse me, there was a beast that came up from the sea. And you know, I can't help but think that the disciple, the apostle John, who's reading this, who's writing this revelation, who sees all these things. Do you remember where he was at the time of his writing? He was exiled on the island of Patmos, believed to be in his 90s. So now when I start to understand who's writing it, where he's at, I can start to understand a little something. Here is a man who followed Jesus in his younger days and continued to follow Jesus throughout his life. And now towards the end of his life, he's been exiled, persecuted because of his faith and placed out on the island of Patmos. An island is a body that is completely surrounded by water. And he's looking up and in this revelation that he sees the glories of heaven, no doubt to this man who has been exiled. And in this revelation is seen nasty horrific bees coming up from the ocean he looks out and he says there's no more sea represents freedom joy to this man now i'm not saying that it's the most important thing to us but in the eyes of the writer who was exiled on that island and all he would see day in and day out is sea and more sea and that sea was what kept him right there he looks up and he says man there is no more sea. No tumultuous waves, no great beasts coming up to conquer, no more battles, no more fights, no more storms, no more boats being tossed on the waves, none of that. It is done. It is finished. I want you to see a moment. I believe it is the greatest thing in regards to heaven, and it's found in verse 3. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. The first point this morning is that heaven is great because we have perfect fellowship with God. Perfect fellowship with God. Believers, allow your ears to be open. Allow your heart to be receptive to the beauty of those words. Behold. The tabernacle of God is with men. Where was the tabernacle? What was the tabernacle? It was the place where the glory of God, the presence of God dwelt with the wandering children of Israel. The tabernacle, the abode, the home is with men. 
and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. What he is saying so clearly in verse 3, John is hearing this voice saying from God that I am here, I am with them, I am continuing to be their God. Three times in that one verse, the word with is used to describe union and fellowship with us. Now, let me for a moment rewind back to last week. What an amazing contrast between heaven and hell. Do you remember when the rich man lifted his eyes being in torments and he sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus was in his bosom? Do you remember that Abraham said between us and you there is a great goal fixed so that those that would wish to pass from here to you cannot nor can they pass from there to us. They cannot. Abraham used twice in their us and you showing that in heaven there was what we call a glad and happy throng. That in heaven there was a group of people united in fellowship, but in hell, continuing to use the singular, he was there alone. The man on earth that had all the friends around him when he died, he went to an eternal existence in the horrors of hell, alone. Outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And John looks up and he's saying, in this revelation, he hears God say, I will be with you. The apostle said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, For now we look through a mirror darkly. But, but, he says, as we look through this mirror darkly, there will come a time where we will see face to face. Now, friends, we look through a mirror darkly, dim. We can't see everything just perfectly. But there will come a time where we will behold face to face with God our Savior. Why? Because He will be with us. You know, I know that today we cling to those, that promise as a believer in Hebrews chapter 13. That he will never leave us or forsake us. We cling to those words of Jesus to his disciples where he promised, I will not leave you orphans. And he promised us the Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit, that would abide with us. So right now, today, we know that as born-again believers, we have God with us. And if we have God with us now, then what is the difference, I might ask, if we are in heaven, if he's there? The difference is tremendous. Because now I get, I understand that the scriptures say he's with me. I can experience his peace. I can experience his power, his joy. I can experience his guidance in my life through the work of the Holy Spirit. But friends, there is coming a day and in heaven, praise God, it is no more invisible. I don't have to just exercise my faith. I don't just have to have a feeling I can touch. Do you know what John says? Or God says, and I will wipe away every tear from their eye. Guys, are those not awesome words? And I, God says, will wipe away every tear 
from their eyes. Do you know what that literally is saying? That God is there to even touch our face. An intimate, tender encounter with the God of all creation. I know, I know there are many of us that when we get to heaven or our thoughts of heaven, we immediately think about our loved ones that have trusted Christ and gone on before us. And I know that we look forward to that reunion with them. But I'll tell you what. The greatest thing about heaven is not just that those that have gone on before will be there. What makes heaven great is that God is there. That's the greatest thing. I mean, everything else, friends, is icing on the cake, but the fact of the matter is, what makes heaven great is the one who created me and loved me and died for me and came back for me and saved me, and now I get to be in his presence forever. And you know what? Oh, yeah, I've got family up here, too. Oh yeah, I've got friends up here, but you know what? I really believe if I might for a moment exercise my faith and take the word for what it says, even if I can't fully wrap my eyes and my mind around it, I really believe that the first stop for each of us in heaven is going to be the feet of Jesus. And then, and then, we'll figure out what to do after that. Amen? Notice the immediacy of the fellowship. John, God says, I will wipe away all the tears from their eyes. Do you remember that when the rich man died and was buried? He was immediately in torments. And, Abraham, or, and Lazarus died and was carried to Abraham's bosom. When God says, I will wipe away every tear from their eye, this doesn't speak of an intimate, tender encounter, literal encounter with God. But I believe it also speaks of the immediacy of our fellowship. Boom. Like that. At death, when our soul separates from our body, one has said that that is what death is. It is when our soul separates from our body. And then it goes back to be with the Lord who gave it at that moment when we breathe our last, when our heart is done pumping, when our last chapter has been written and the page is to be turned, we wake up into the glorious presence. We are ushered, step into the glorious presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How do I know it's so immediate? He is going to wipe every tear away from my eye. If there is no crying in heaven, if there are no tears in heaven, if there are no sorrow or crying or any of those things, I have to believe that those tears came from where I came from previously. But in a moment, the twinkling of an eye, if you will, the batting of an eyelash, I'll have the privilege of being ushered immediately into the presence of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he tenderly, intimately, lovingly, compassionately will reach down and wipe away the tear from my eye, the hands that created the heavens. The hands that stretched out to receive the nails will be the ones that will be concerned about the tear falling from the corner of our eyes. 
And those same hands will gently brush away every tear. Why? For a new era has begun. A new day, a new season, a new moment, a new life. Heaven with God. What makes heaven so great? Perfect fellowship with God. Nothing to stand in the way. No looking through a glass darkly. No dim mirror, but beholding him as he is face to face. Notice the second thing of the second great thing about heaven. This eternal abode. This is probably the one that we can understand a little better, maybe than perfect fellowship with God. And it's this in verse number uh, four. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And please hear these words. Well, believer, there shall be no more death. Nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things. Have been passed away. What a contrast. The first words we had of the rich man was he lifted up his eyes being in torments. We went through those. Physical torment. Emotional torment. Mental torment. Relational torment. There were all of these different torments that this man was experiencing beyond the physical torments that we associate so naturally with hell. And what Jesus is saying, what God is saying to John is that there will be no more death, no more crying, no more sorrow, and no more pain. Can you imagine that? If you think about it, how does God do that? Now I know He's God. He can do whatever He wants. But how does God remove death and sorrow and crying and pain? I can tell you this. He he has done away with death, crying, sorrow, and pain because He did away with its source. Sin. In order... To eradicate those things. He provided an environment. Where its source. Is gone. But there shall by no means enter in anything that defiles or cause an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. He takes away death because death is the result of sin. Crying, sorrow, pain. You know what those things are a result of? Sin. If not our sin, the sin of others. And what He has done is provided an environment where there is no sin. And because of that, we get to, an exper- we get to experience not just a life that is free from those things, But all of those hindrances that affect our relationship and our fellowship with God down here, they're gone. No more of those things. Aren't you glad that sin has been dealt with completely on the cross of Calvary? And at this point, all of the judgments will have been taken place. Praise God. Amen. These are gone because sin is gone. I might also let you jot down in your notes 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We will also have a new body. What, no amen for that? Are we all amened out? 
perfect fellowship with God. All the hardships of life are gone. And that's just hard to believe, isn't it? Hard to believe. How many of you are in pain right now? If I keep preaching, how many of you are going to be in pain? How many more are you going to raise your hand about? Let me go down to the last point, please. Oh, verses 22 and 26. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. We've known less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. There's something interesting about the sun and the moon I just want to bring to your attention. We think of the sun and moon as that which is a source of light. The sun is a source of light by day, and the moon is a source of light by night, both created by God and put there for particular reasons, that in their celestial orbit they would provide not just light, but also the existence of time, that from the sun and from the moon we have the way, the ability now to account hours and days. We have the ability now to count months and seasons, we have the ability then to count years. What the Bible is telling us is that without the need of the sun and the moon, there will be no need to track time. We don't have to worry and say, man, what time is it? I've been at this revival all morning. No. Friends, no need to record time. But the main point that the author is making, obviously, in regards to the lack of sun and the lack of moon is that there will be no night there. Why will there be no night there? Because there will be a permeating glory of God. I know for some of you, you are well acquainted with Revelation chapter 21. I know for some of you, those verses have brought you great comfort. And I know that some of you, probably females, are a little more familiar with the particular types of precious stones that are recorded in the book of Revelation. You probably know exactly how to pronounce every one of those, and yes, I'm not trying to pronounce all of them. You probably know what month birthstone they represent. You probably know what cuts and colors they come in. I do not. But this one thing I do know in regards to those jewels, that doesn't mean much to me. The fact that it's topaz or whatever it is doesn't matter to me. But I want you to think about the beauty of what John is saying, what he's recounting, what he's describing. The gates are pearl. The streets are a gold that is almost transparent. And the walls are made up of these glorious, precious stones. Gold that is almost transparent. Gates that are almost, that are like, that are pearl. And jewels all around. Do you know, can you imagine with me, what that place must be? 
Because all of those descriptions, the gates, the ground, the, 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 the crystal sea that is going, all of those things either reflect light or refract light or allow light to shine through. Or those things can even make more glorious prisms, sending out different colors in different areas, in different directions. Can you imagine this ever-present, glorious light of God, which is the manifestation of who He is, circling around through all of the glorious descriptions of the jewels and the precious stones reflecting off of the sea of glass, reflecting off of the streets of you can't look away. You could not find a place where there would be a shadow. You could not look a direction or an angle. There is not one place you could possibly behold where your eye would lie where you would not see some glorious picture image of the glory of God guys that's what makes heaven heaven and equally so that's what makes hell hell in heaven it's the glory of God that causes us to bend our knees that's why those who take their crowns they throw them back why because he is glorious he is worthy and we're in this place Sensory overload, if you can imagine. The glory of God would be a sensory overload. And now we contrast this description to the torments of hell. Jesus referred to it a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth of outer darkness. There could not be a greater gap between these two destinations. One has the presence of God in it. The second is void of the presence of God. One is the result of hope. One is absolutely without hope. One has God there. The other one does not. One has a glorious reunion of people while the other leaves the person in torments alone. One, the second one, all the hardships of life are gone. In the other one, hell, all of the hardships of life are only compounded for all eternity with no escape. The third one has the light of the glory of God. The third one has no light at all. It is a hopeless pit of darkness. Remember I told you that hell is not penal in the sense, or is not, is not elementary. It's not for the purpose of correcting us. It's for the purpose of judging us, of condemning us. That is not so with heaven. It is the reward. It is the destination of all that have placed their saving faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, friend, let me tell you something. Two destinations. And there are only two. That is a heaven and a hell. Both of them are equally real. Both of them may be equally difficult to wrap our mind around and to understand. But if we might have the faith as a grain of a mustard seed, even though our faith be little, let it be strong, let it be pure, when we read Revelation chapter 21 and we see those glories, may our knees bend and say, thank you, God, for giving me something that I do not deserve, all at the cost of your son, Jesus. And may we say this morning in our heart, God, do I know, do I know that I'm going to heaven? Would you do me a favor? If you know that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Would you tell somebody?
Would you tell your family? My father passed. And what gave me great comfort was to know that when he breathed his last on this life, I know that he went immediately into the presence of Jesus Christ. You know what? He didn't get that privilege with his father. When his father breathed his last, my dad went to his grave never knowing if he would see his father in heaven. Friend, you have today the opportunity. If you know you're heaven bound because of your faith in Jesus, tell somebody. Tell them when you got saved. That is an opportunity that you have to minister to your family long after you're gone. And if you're here and you know in your heart you don't know Jesus, you're unsure that you have ever entered into that right gate through a personal saving relationship with Jesus. Friend, today's the day. This is the moment. This is the hour. If God has communicated to your heart your lostness, I assure you he stands ready to forgive you today. He never communicates to us our need of him without, without providing that need right there. And it's through faith. And I want to ask you this morning, would you close your eyes with me? For just a moment as we pray and, and prepare to dismiss this morning. Before we do, I want to give you a chance to respond. And I want to ask you this morning. If you are unsure that you are heaven bound. If you are unsure that this glorious place that I have described to the best of my ability this morning. If you are unsure that that is the destination that is at the end of your path. Would you raise your hand for me this morning? We've done this before. Yes. Yes, I see two hands. Thank you. You can put those down. Yes. Are there any others this morning? The Bible says that if we recognize that we're a sinner, that that sin has separated us from God, and we say to God, God, I confess I'm a sinner. And I believe, God, that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross to pay my penalty. And I receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers to me. I do that today, God. The Bible says that if we, all they that call upon the name of the Lord will never be ashamed. Today, do you receive him as your Savior and Lord? Amen. This morning you may have another decision beyond that. Maybe rededication. Baptism. Church membership. Whatever that is that God has placed on your heart. Maybe you've got issues in your life you just want to take care of. You want to pray at the altar or maybe there even in your seat. Pray that this morning we would walk out of here with a clear vision of heaven. Clear focus of life and a desire. A desire not just to go there ourselves, but to stuff that place with as many people as we can. Father, I thank you for what you've done in our place this morning. Thank you, Lord, for those that have signified their desire to know you as their Savior. Lord, I trust that from their heart to, to yours, they have prayed and shared with you their need of a Savior and their faith in your finished work on the cross through your Son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.